A great lead into that question. That's the question that uh, is before us this morning, this question of now what? I think it's a question that we've all asked at one point or another in our lives. Usually we ask it when we come to the end of one thing and we wonder what to do next after that the, the former thing ended. So maybe it's finishing eighth grade and heading off to a different school. You're changing schools and you think, now what? what what's going to happen as I move into a new school? Or maybe it's when you're finishing high school and everyone's asking you, now what? And you feel pressured to have an answer to that question. Or maybe as an adult, it's a, a project at work or there's a major push that you make and you give a lot of energy to it. And then as that comes to an end, you ask, now What? For the others of us, it comes when uh, something changes in our lives. There's uh, maybe someone that you love gets sick or becomes ill in a really debilitating way, or maybe someone dies that you're close to, or maybe it's your landlord who gives you notice and says you need to move out by, you know, the end of the month, well, not the end of the month, but you need to move out shortly, and it changes things for you, and you ask, now what? I think uh, for those of us who are Uh, trying to honor the Lord in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, a lot of times we want to do what God has in mind for us. And so we want God to tell us what to do. (laughs) We want some very clear direction from God to say, well, what, what do you have in mind for my next steps? And if God doesn't tell us, at least we'd like some clarity some clarity about our options so that it would be simple for us. I, I thought of this recently uh, when I was thinking back to uh, back in 2003 when I was finishing up seminary studies. I was uh, 40 years old at the time, so I was kind of in midlife. I was changing careers, had been in the business world up until that point, and I was eager to start a new chapter in my life. I was just finishing up two years of study, and I was waiting to see what would come next, like now what? And I was thinking about that and praying and asking the Lord for direction about my next steps. I was grateful to have at least two options. I I had two, which was uh, enough to make a choice. I only needed one, I guess, but I had two and uh, that actually made it a little more difficult because I had to make a choice. Uh, One option was for for me to stay in North Carolina where we were attending a Christian Missionary Alliance church and to become the associate pastor in that congregation. They'd been very supportive of me and our family as I uh, did my seminary studies and I was invited to stay on there as associate pastor. Um, over the five years that we attended there, I had begun teaching adult Sunday school. I uh, was, joined their elder team and had a really good relationship with the lead pastor there. And our family had settled in in North Carolina where we were living. We liked living there. So that was one option I had. The other option was to, uh, to, to move to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and to help train pastors and, and leaders in what was then called Lancaster Conference, now LMC, which is our network of congregations. And that option was attractive to me because it was an opportunity that they had just gotten funding to create a college-level training program for pastors and leaders in churches, and they were looking for somebody to come and help develop that program and then to lead it in its, in its first years. Um, that role also gave an opportunity to work across congregations, not just to focus in one congregation, but to, to work across congregations. Uh, it would reconnect me to the Mennonite world, which is where I grew up, and also would bring us closer to our extended families. Um, The challenge, though, was that I didn't really have a lot of clarity about which of those options to to choose, to to opt for. Um, I have a photo that I dug up from what our family looked like in those days. I thought that might give you a little window into the past and 
uh, our children then, uh, Dan was 15, Katie was 12, and Peter was nine at that point. Uh, this was on a family trip we took in that summer. Um, so, but one of the downsides to uh, taking that second job, second job would be uprooting our family. Uh, they were in grades nine, seven, and three at that point. And so, uh, and the other problem there is that we had already done several interstate moves, and this would be yet another move to a different state. And so that was one of the costs of that second option. And I was, I was sure that God would have a preference, that you know, God would, give, would tell me what to do to make it easy for me. But as I prayed about it, as I talked with friends, as I talked with people I respect, I didn't really have any clarity. We didn't really have any clarity. We kept asking and thinking, did God have a specific assignment in mind for me and for our family at that point? Well, that whole situation came back to mind for me recently when I read through the first uh, chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Um, I'm going to read that passage for you today, and as I do, I want you to notice as I read, I'm going to point out some things in there that have to do with decision-making. Think about how much clarity the disciples had from Jesus at a really pivotal moment in their lives. As we come to the beginning of the book of Acts, things are kind of up in the air for the disciples Uh, This is after the resurrection, and Jesus is around with them, but things are different. Things are definitely different now that he's been crucified and raised and been raised from the dead, and I think they're asking the now what question. And you have to remember that as we read this, they have no idea that in just a few moments and a few verses for us, he's going to be ascended into heaven and they're not going to see him in bodily form anymore for the rest of their lives. They don't know that's what's coming. So let's read Acts uh, 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, the book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And here in Acts, he's referring to a person, we don't know who this is, but he writes to Theophilus. So in my former book, he's referring to the gospel of Luke, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he, he spent about 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension giving instructions to his disciples through the Holy Spirit. He was leaving them with guidance and instructions in answer to the now what question. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So he gave them instructions and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God over in this period of time. On one occasion, verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. So he gave them some very specific instructions for their next steps, for what was coming for them. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He told, he, talked them, he told them about the Holy Spirit in John chapters 14 and 16 especially. He told them a lot about what was coming. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he said, uh, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for a few days and you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still expecting him to take power from the Romans. 
And from the way the story sounds, this is happening just minutes before his ascension. So they're asking him this question about what's coming. Now what? This is a now what question. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. So they ask him for some clarity. And very interesting that he says, it's not for you to know the time or the dates. That clarity that you want is not available to you right now. It's, this is not, it's not what you need right now. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he does tell them about what's out ahead. He gives them a picture of what's coming. He says, you're gonna receive power and you'll be my witnesses throughout the world. After he said this, verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. I don't know if you try to picture this, but if you're just talking with Jesus, he's, he's talking to you, you're asking him questions, he's answering, and then all of a sudden, it sounds like from the way the story's told, he's, he's levitating, he's, he's leaving the ground and he's going up and, and you're watching him go up before you and it says a cloud hid him from their sight. And no wonder in verse 10, they were looking up intently, looking intently up into the sky as he was going, probably wondering, what, what's happening? He's never done this before. I mean, a whole series of surprising things from Jesus, and here's another one. They've never seen this before. And it says, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I don't think it's a very kind question. Of course they are. <laughs> Jesus has just vanished from their sight. And they say, why are you looking into, into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So here's more information about the future. This same Jesus will come back. This same Jesus will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And then it says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. The Mount of Olives is just to the east. It's just across a a kind of a shallow ravine called the the Valley of Kidron. And it says about a kilometer's walk, about a Sabbath day's walk back into the city. And I promise you, as they were walking back to the city, they were asking each other the now what question. What What just happened? And now what do we do? I always find it helpful when I read a story like this that's fairly familiar to me to try to put myself back into their shoes as I've been inviting you into this morning. I mean, Jesus has been with them for, we think, about three years. We think his ministry was about three years. And they've seen him do some incredible miracles. Uh, They've heard some very compelling teaching from him that they didn't always fully understand. They'd received a very personal love from him and sometimes his correction, but they'd walked closely with him in that time. And all along, they were expecting big things from him. I don't think they quite understood what was going to come, but they knew because of the, the amazing miracles he was doing and the authority with which he taught that whatever was coming was going to be big, and they wanted in. <clears throat> they wanted to be a part of it, and they wanted to be on his side when it happened. I don't think they knew exactly what was, what was going to unfold, but they knew they wanted to be a part of it. One of the things they expected him to do was to use that power and his authority to take power away from Rome and give it to the Jews, to the Jewish people. And then one day, one day he allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be arrested, which didn't make any sense because that wasn't the the upward pathway they had in mind for him. But maybe they thought, as, as they're asking the now what question after his arrest, Maybe they're imagining that he's going to let himself be cornered 
And then he's going to use his miracles to just flatten them all. Like, you know, this is a great display of power, kind of like in our, in our superhero movies today, where the hero kind of gets cornered and then comes blazing out and, you know, emerges triumphant. Maybe they thought that was what was going to happen. But he didn't do that either. He submitted himself to a whole farce of a trial, to a showdown with the Roman governor, and then incredibly, un- inconceivably, to a crucifixion where he actually died. And I don't think they had any doubt that he allowed that to happen, that he could have come off the cross. He could have interrupted all of that at any time, but he, he walked all the way through it and he actually died. And when he died, I, I promise you, their whole world collapsed. They didn't know what was next because it didn't make any sense at all from what they were expecting. And then several days after that, he appeared to them again. He appeared to them in bodily form. And it was him, but it, it wasn't the same him It was Jesus in recognizable bodily form, but it wasn't the same. Things were somewhat different. Uh, They could see the wounds from his crucifixion in his hands and in his side. And he was able to eat food. They could see him. They could touch him. And yet also strangely, it seemed like he could appear and disappear. He could pass through walls. So something was clearly different. He um, He also would come and go. He wasn't with them all the time in the way that he was before. And so that 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension had to be one of the the strangest but most exhilarating times in their journeys with Jesus. And then we come to the passage that we read today where yet another astonishing thing happens where as he's talking to them, he's levitated and he disappears from their sight. And they're left again with the now what question. Well, three things stand out to me in this text that I want to highlight for you, uh, and I think they help us as we think about the now what question in our own lives. And I just want to highlight the three of them for you. The first one is that Jesus did give them instructions and promises, but secondly, they didn't really understand them. They didn't fully understand those instructions or those promises, at least not in the moment. And then the third thing I want to point out is how Jesus answered the now, how I want to, how I think he answered the now what question for them. So his instructions and promises that they didn't fully understand, and then how Jesus answered the now what question for them, and I think for us as well. Well, Jesus did leave them some very clear instructions that I highlighted for you when I read those verses. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait there for a few days. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait there for, that's very specific. That's very clear. They know where to be and for how long, approximately. And then he says, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure they understood what that meant. It had never happened before in quite this way. I mean, the Spirit had come upon people in the Old Testament. That's probably what they had in mind. But Jesus said, you're going to be baptized. This is going to happen to you. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he's promising them. So he gave them some specific instructions and then some promises where the details weren't all that clear, including you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You will rec- so that was one. The other is you will receive power. You will receive power. What does that mean? I, I don't know. He doesn't really explain that. But then he says, you're going to be my witnesses. This is going to happen. There are other places where he says, in in Matthew 28, he says, go and baptize and so on. But here he just says, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That would be like saying to us, you're going to be my witnesses in Mount Joy, in Lancaster County, in the Northeast, and to the ends of the earth. So it's, you know, where you are immediately in your region and to the ends of the earth. 
And then in verse 11 of what I read for you, there's the promise, there's another promise from the two men in white. We think of them as angels probably. And their promise is that this same Jesus will return. This same Jesus will return. So that's the first thing I want to point out, the instructions, the promises. The second is that they didn't, I don't think they fully understood those things. I don't think they were really capable of understanding them, not in the way that you and I do these days anyway. I think they wanted clarity. They wanted detailed certainty, just like you and I do. They wanted clarity from him. But I think it's very interesting that Jesus said in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or dates that these things will happen. And I think sometimes that's God's answer to us as well. It's not for you to know that right now. That detailed certainty you want is not for you to know right now. I think in part it's because the disciples' imaginations were limited by what they had experienced and what they knew. That's, you and I are the same way. We, we expect things, in a, our expectations are based on what we've known and what we've experienced. So for example, in verse six, they say to him, are you not, at this time, is this the moment when you're gonna take power from Rome and give it to Israel? Their imaginations in that moment, I promise you, did not include the Gentiles coming into the family of Jesus, into the family of Jesus' followers. That was beyond their imagination at that point. Also beyond their imagination was uh, a, a gathering or a faith community that wasn't centered, of, of God's followers, who, that wasn't centered in Jerusalem and around the temple. That was just inconceivable to them that that would happen. As was the idea of letting go of the, the hope that God would give political control back to the Jewish people in their own land. That doesn't seem to have been on Jesus' list either during his ministry or any time after. But as I said, I think our imaginations are also limited by what we know and what we've experienced. And we just can't help that because our imaginations are limited. I thought of this, uh, an example of this would be as uh, COVID season was ending and as we were re-emerging from some of the limitations of that time. For many of us, I think the main goal was to, and maybe you said this, was to get back to the way things were before. To get back to the way things before, even though that wasn't really possible. Even though the world had changed and our habits had changed. Our answer to the now what question was was to go back to the way things were before. I also think of this when I, I hear or I see Bible teachers trying to lay out detailed timelines for what the future holds using the, 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 uh, the information in the book of Revelation to say this is exactly how it's going to play out. We want clarity. We want certainty. But that, God doesn't always give us the kind of simple kind of certainty that we long for. The book of Revelation is, is full of poetry and metaphor it's, it's full of um, uh, prophecy that isn't super specific. There are things that seem specific to us, but a lot of those are allusions to numbers and uh, time periods from the Old Testament. And yet we want, you know, very precise clarity and certainty when we ask the now what question. But I think just like us, the first disciples of Jesus only really understood more about who he was, about um, what God was doing in retrospect, as they looked back on the the life of Jesus and on their journey with Jesus, I I think they understood more and more clearly who Jesus was. They understood more about what their their assignment was and what God was gonna do through them. 
For example, in, um, in the, uh, chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Acts, it tells the story of how Peter came to believe that God was going to bring the Gentiles into the family of God. A mind-blowing idea for him and for all of the Jews at the time The way that God changed Peter's mind, that story is told in Acts 10 and 11, but Peter could not have imagined that that was going to happen in in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 15, we have the church leaders gathering to figure out how to incorporate the Gentiles into into the family of Jesus' followers. Jesus didn't leave them with specific instructions for how that was supposed to work. He let them figure that out, and they understood. They were able, they were in a position to do that by Acts 15 in a way that they weren't able to do that or wouldn't have been able to at the beginning of the book. I think this is true in my life as well, and maybe in yours as well, that I, I feel like I see God's hand, God weaving things together in my life much more clearly when I look back on how things have fit together in my life than I'm able to do looking forward. So Jesus does leave them with instructions and promises that they didn't fully understand. And now I want to show you how I think Jesus answered the now what question for them. And very simply, I want to suggest to you there are two parts to his answer. The first is to, uh, his instruction is to trust and obey in ordinary everyday ways. To continue trusting him, continue obeying him in ordinary everyday ways. And secondly, to act when prompted by the Holy Spirit. So to continue with your ordinary lives and to act when prompted by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 of Acts 1 says, he gave them instructions over these 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. He gave them instructions. He talked to them about the kingdom of God so that they would know uh, more fully what his perspective was and how to follow. I think he was giving them instructions for most of the ordinary days of their lives. I don't know the details of what he said then, but my guess is that it at least included some of the, probably review and summary of some of the things that he had said before. So like at the end of um, Luke, he says, all the scriptures point to me. In order to understand the scriptures, you need to, you need to look at me and my, my life and my teachings. He also said, all authority has been given to me. Another place he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I think he was reviewing these kinds of things with him. He said, love one another as I have loved you. That's how people will know you're my followers. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. All of those things, I think, point to trust me, obey me in ordinary, everyday ways as you go go about your lives. You know, the reality is that movements to Jesus or, or, or times when many, many people come to Jesus to, to surrender their lives to Christ at the same time, or it seems like there's a wave of conversions of people come to follow Christ. Those happen because ordinary people like you and me live extraordinary lives and the people around them want to know why. They want to know why are you different? Why is your life so different? Why are you extraordinary in character? Extraordinary in integrity, extraordinary in loving relationships. And sometimes being the witness to Jesus is as simple as answering that question and telling the person how God has changed your life and say, well, this is not really me doing those things. This is the power of God at work within me in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because truthfully, most of the people who followed Jesus were simple and ordinary people. They were... um, Farmers and fishermen, they were merchants, they were mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, people of all ages. 
simple, ordinary people living obedient lives with grace and with dignity, trusting God, doing their work, raising their families well and loving their neighbors. Men and women who became honest in their business dealings. Men and women who began to uh, love and respect their husbands and their wives and their children. Men who stopped sleeping with women they weren't married to. A group of people who provided amazing care for the poor, for orphans, for widows, for people who were sick. I don't think many of them were church planters or preachers. Not many of them were scholars. But together they turned the ancient world upside down. They completely transformed the ancient world. And I think that possibility is still there for you and me today. As we trust and obey and become extraordinary through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Extraordinary in the ways that they were as well. Honest in business. Loving and respecting the people around us. Not sleeping with people we're not married to. Caring for the poor, for the sick, for orphans and widows. Maybe also not being consumed by money or stuff or entertainment. Being people who are in control of our emotions, our sexual desires, and our money. People who aren't addicted to anything. People who are willing to serve rather than seeking our own comfort. So I think the first answer that Jesus gave them for what next or now what was to continue to trust and obey in ordinary, everyday ways. But the second answer is also very important, and that is to act when prompted by the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's interesting here is that he doesn't say exactly how to do this, how you're going to be my witnesses, but he says the Holy Spirit is going to give you the power or the ability, the capacity to do this. The capacity to be my witnesses to people around you and throughout the entire world. No matter where you go, no matter where you're sent, you'll have the ability to be my witnesses. So I think this is Jesus' answer to this now what question. It's to trust and obey in ordinary ways and to act when prompted by the Holy Spirit, to be listening for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So now I can take you back to that story I didn't finish at the beginning about the decision that we had to make about the two job opportunities that were in front of me and my wondering of whether God had a specific assignment for me. One of the things that I did as, I was rest- as we wrestled with this decision was I reached out to people uh, who I respected, people who knew us well, uh, we talked to each of our parents, talked to our siblings, talked to other friends and asked them for their wisdom. I said, what do you think? Do you have any guidance for us in this question? And one of the things that I remember specifically that was a, a, a light bulb moment for me was when my dad in a phone conversation said to me, Carl, if you're not sensing any clarity, any specific clarity here, maybe God is inviting you to choose. Maybe God is giving you the room to choose here because both of those roles would enable you to serve the kingdom of God, would enable you to be building up the kingdom of God. You'll have an opportunity to impact people for the kingdom in either of those roles. Maybe God is inviting you to make a decision, to to choose. Which one would you prefer? And I realized that in that conversation, I realized that um, in either role, my main call would be to be a man of character, to continue to live a life of integrity, to love and serve Nita and our children, our family well, to do my work well, but to trust God to provide for us, 
to be someone who was in the habit of loving my neighbors. And as I go along, to be telling the people the story of how God had changed my life and the ways that God had done miracles of provision in my life and to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So whatever I did in terms of my work, that would be the main call of my life. So the, the life lesson for me in, that, in this experience that I'm telling you about was that whatever job or role I were to fill then or now, I think that's actually less important in some ways than God's main call in my life, which is to be someone who trusts and obeys God in ordinary, everyday ways and lives that out every day. Or I might say that my to-do list, as important as I like to think it is, my to-do list is less important than my to-be list. The person I am becoming is more important, I think, to God than exactly what I'm doing in my work. Not that that's unimportant. And beyond that, beyond who I'm becoming, I think God in that situation was inviting me. I took my dad's counsel to heart. I, I thought God was inviting me to choose the specific job or role I filled. That, because like I said, either one would allow me to serve in the way I'd hoped to. Now we do sometimes have a clearer sense of direction. My sense of coming here into the role I have here at our congregation was a much clearer one. Uh, and that, my experience of that was that every time I talked to somebody here from the search committee or to the bishop or you know, as we walked through that process, it felt to me like a set of double doors that were opening in a wider and wider way in front of me. And it just seemed like by the end, it was just a completely wide open door. And it just felt like there was a lot of clarity that emerged as we uh, engaged in those conversations. And so, uh, yeah, sometimes we do have a much clearer sense of direction from God. So I think it's important to be listening as well. So in the end, with, with very mixed feelings for some of what it cost us, we ended up moving to Lancaster in uh, the fall of 2003. And I, I began to work for Lancaster Conference in that role, and that was what I was doing before I came here to Mount Night Church. So as you think about these things this morning, I'm going to leave you with three reflection questions, three questions for you to think about in your own journey. And they come directly out of the things that I've been talking about this morning. I want to urge you to think about your answer to these questions so that you're ready when you come on to the next time where you, you have the now what question in your own life. <clears throat> and the first question is, are you fully committed to trusting and obeying God in ordinary everyday ways in your life? Is that a, a focal commitment for you to trust and obey God in ordinary everyday ways? Are you learning to being able to do this regardless of how much clarity you have about what's next? Are you willing to commit to that? The second question is, are you listening? Are you regularly listening for and acting on the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life? Yeah, it's important to be trusting and obeying every day, but are you also listening? Do you have enough space in your brain, in your life, in your heart? to notice if the Holy Spirit is prompting you in a specific way. So that's the second reflection question. Are you listening for and acting on the prompting of the Holy Spirit? And maybe you're able to say yes to both of those questions. Maybe you, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm fully committed to living, trusting and obeying God every day in, in ordinary ways in my ordinary life. And yes, I am listening for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then my third question is, do you, do you know what's on your to-be list? How, uh, what do you want to make sure is on your to-be list? 
Is there a specific character quality or capacity that you're asking the Holy Spirit to develop more fully in your life? Are you paying as much attention to your to-be list as you are to your to-do list? So I offer those questions for you that you might want to think about as we sing a song of reflection right now. You might want to come back to them this afternoon or maybe in your devotional time this week as you, as you consider these things. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the scriptures and the record of how you guided ordinary people, how you instructed and guided ordinary people in very specific and practical ways. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence within us, for your loving and gracious presence within us to help us to become the kinds of people you want us to be. Lord, we, we trust you. We lean into your power, Holy Spirit. We lean into your, the capacity you give us to trust and obey in our daily lives. And we want to be listening for your prompting. We ask you to prompt us in ways, if there, are, if there is specific direction you have for us as we go about our work, as we go about our play, our everyday lives, we ask you to prompt us, to, to give us eyes to see where you're at work around us so that we can join you there. We open ourselves to your work in our lives and in our hearts and ask you to direct our steps.